as the kids are heading to Children's Church, uh, the rest of you can find, guess what book? You got it, Romans. Romans chapter 12. We have been learning from God what it means to worship as Christians in all kinds of practical ways. And today, he's going to be teaching us how to worship him in relationship with difficult people. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. While people are finding it, I want you to be honest, and you can raise your hand. How many of you know a difficult person? Someone who's difficult to love, difficult to be in relationship with. Okay, some of you more emphatically than others. Some of you pointing to your spouses. I'm just kidding. I didn't actually see any pointing at spouses. To help you brainstorm some of these relationships, because... I want you to think specifically here about your specific relationships and your specific difficult people. Uh, One day, I had been dealing with difficult people here at the church. We do have some. Um, And later that day or the next day, I can't remember, uh, Meredith and the kids and I were at Ollie's over in Mint Hill. And they have really cheap books at Ollie's in Mint Hill. And I saw this one, and it has a guy banging his head up against the wall, and it's titled Energy Zappers. Dealing with people who drain you dry. So I thought, I'm going to buy that book. It was $3. <laughs> and here's, um, each chapter is for a different type of energy zapper. There's 21. So I'm going to read these 21 types of difficult people just to help you brainstorm some of your difficult relationships. Okay, there are angerers, chatterers, clingers, refu- uh, confusers. Critics, cynics, deceivers, depressors, disappointers, distractors, diverters, doubters, exasperators, foot draggers, freeloaders, patronizers, pot stirrers, quitters, stride breakers, whiners, and wounders. Okay, those are, are his 21 types of people. Do you guys know any of those types of people? You do? Okay. Well... Your relationships with these types of people are not accidents, and they are opportunities for you to worship God as a Christian. You see, we as Christians are in a unique position to love the unlovely that non-Christians are not able to do. Do you know why we're able to love the unlovely in a way different from folks who don't know Jesus? Because that's what Jesus did for us. As Christians, we are the recipients of unconditional love. Just an endless, infinite source of grace and forgiveness and patience. Unconditional love from the Father. And we are, it's lavished upon us as Christians. And so we're rich with it. And we have this resource to be able to love difficult people that others don't have. And so this morning I'm encouraging myself and you to view these relationships maybe a little bit differently than we have in the past. View them as opportunities to worship, okay? Because the fact of the matter is, you're a difficult person too. And I'm a difficult person too. You know, in Romans, God painted a very very realistic and stark picture of who we are without Christ. Do you remember Romans chapter 3? It was a long time ago now. It was probably like 6, 7, 8, 9 years ago when we were in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read it to you to refresh your memory. This is a portrait of us without Jesus. It says, uh, 
We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all of us, are under sin. As it is written, this is uh, Romans 3, beginning at verse 10, by the way. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That they is talking about all of us, all of humanity without Christ. A little bit later in chapter 5, he explains that it was while, in chapter 5 verse 10, it was while we were enemies that Jesus reconciled us to God. Not just while we were nice folks who didn't quite understand, we were enemies of God. And yet he came in Jesus Christ and died for us to save us. So we, the recipients of that kind of grace, have, we, we must, transfer that grace to the difficult people in our lives. Okay, so now that you know that you too are a difficult person, I'm going to read this list again. Now don't think about other people. Think about yourself and see if any of this applies to you. Are any of you angerers? Do you leave in your wake angry people? Chatterers? Talking in ways and content and quantity that you shouldn't? Clingers, confusers, critics, cynics, deceivers, depressors, disappointers, distractors, diverters, doubters, exasperators, foot-draggers, freeloaders, patronizers, potsters, quitters, stridebreakers, whiners, wounders. I think if we're all honest, we'll see some of those characteristics in ourselves. These are the the things that Jesus came to. To save us from and to forgive us for and to cleanse us from. Okay, so we're all difficult people saved by Jesus and sent out to love and go preach the gospel to other difficult people. Okay, it's important that we get on the same page with that. You are not the one good one contending with all the bad ones. You're not. You're one of the bad ones who has been saved by the one good one, Jesus. Okay? So the one good one is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. All right. I think we're on the same page. So what I have uh, for you today, I've tried to synthesize these verses into as, as an, an easy-to-digest format as I could think of. So I have for you six things that you can do right now in your relationships with difficult people if you are a Christian. Okay? So I want to read it, and then we'll pray. And if you can, if you'd stand with me as we read from Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Verse 14 of Romans 12 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, 
Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, may it be so. May this be so of each of us and of us as a church. Help us, transform us through Jesus Christ to love and live like this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So six things that you are free to do in your relationships with difficult people because you're a Christian. First one, bless. You are free to bless people because you are a Christian. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We need to put this into a bit of perspective before we move forward. He's talking about people who are being persecuted here. That means being chased down deliberately for harm. Christians throughout the centuries and and across the globe have experienced real physical persecution. They experience real persecution like we, we aren't experiencing right now. And people on other parts of the globe are experiencing persecution unlike what we experience right now. I read a story this week about Tanzania. In Tanzania, Christians are having their property, their cars, their churches, their livestock burned because they're Christians. Just destroyed. That's persecution. Okay? So we need a little, to make sure we have perspective here. Probably what we're experiencing isn't, you know, my minivan being torched because I'm a Christian. You know, our church being lighted on fire one night because we're Christians. Right now we're not experiencing that. But we might one day. So let's get our feet set now. And this will help us think about those who are just kind of bad toward us. People who are just kind of unkind toward us. We are free to bless them rather than curse them. The word bless, it means literally speech that confers benefit. Now it has more to do than just our words, but it does have to do with our words. How we talk about those who persecute us can be worship. So be thinking, how have you talked about those who are difficult in your life? How have you talked to those who are difficult? I knew an elderly lady who died several years ago, and all the people that knew her best all said the same thing. They said she never said a bad word about anybody. She never gossiped about people. She never criticized people. She always used her words to bless and to encourage and build up. She never used her words to curse. May that be said of us as Christians. We need to see the inherent hypocrisy of using our lips to sing praise songs to God on Sunday morning. And then using those same lips on Monday morning to curse people. To speak ill of other people. To gossip about other people. To speak harshly to people. Now in general this means to set ourselves for the good of our persecutors. Of people who are bad to us. Rather than setting ourselves toward their their bad. Um, And he makes clear later in the passage that this is a practical thing. If you look in verse 20... 
He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Think about your difficult person, the person who is bad to you. What physical, practical needs do they have? How can you bless them in some practical way? Because that's worship. Okay, so the first one thing we can do as Christians in relationship with difficult people is we can bless them. Another thing is we can sympathize. Paul writes, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That kind of seems out of context when you first hit it, but I don't think it is. I think he's saying sympathize with all people, including those who are bad to you. Rejoice over their rejoicing, weep over their weeping. Wish well for them, really. Do you remember when we talked about that one little phrase a few verses up, let love be genuine? The fact that it's, just, it's not okay to just act like we care about people. That as Christians, we are being transformed so that we act really want the best for people, even those who are bad toward us. See, as a Christian, you can sympathize with everybody, including those who are bad to you. Genuinely. So we can bless people, we can sympathize with difficult people, and as Christians we can harmonize with difficult people. You see that in the first part of verse 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Your translation may say it a bit differently. It may say, uh, be of like mind with one another or be single-minded with one another. Uh, It has to do with the way we think. It, It has to do with trying to get into the mindset of our difficult people. Okay, so we're going to do a practical little exercise. Picture your difficult person. Don't turn around and look at them. Picture your difficult person. Okay. Clearly, they're difficult to you because they think differently than you do. They perceive things differently than you do. And it's causing conflict. It's causing pain. Just for a moment, try to figure out What are they thinking? What is their perception of things that makes it so different from yours? Why do they think that way? How did they come to these conclusions? Can you understand where they're coming from at all? The odds are they're not, you know, a a complete insane person that has no logic. They think that they understand things correctly. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I'm going to be evil today. I'm just going to make life miserable for everybody. Nobody wakes up thinking that. Everybody thinks that they are right. So just as convinced as you are that they are in the wrong, they are probably equally convinced that you are in the wrong. Don't you wish that they could see it your way? Don't you wish that they would stop and just think and try to consider where you're coming from? Well, you can't control what they're going to do, but you can do that for them. So think about your difficult person. What are they thinking? How did they get to that conclusion in their thinking? I'm not saying that they are right and you're wrong. I'm just saying think about it and see if there's some way that you can harmonize with their thinking a little bit more. If you can try to become of one mind with them a little bit more. You know, I see, I talk to 
a lot of folks in our congregation, and I hear wildly different perspectives on many, many things. And I'm always shocked at how convinced everybody is about their perspective and how hesitant everybody is to consider the other folks' perspectives. But as Christians, we can harmonize with each other. We can try, using our minds and our thinking, we can try to figure out how each other are thinking and try to get of one mind. So we can bless, we can sympathize, we can harmonize, and we can humbleize. 16b, we can be humble. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or you know, thinking highly of yourself, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. How many of your difficult people are difficult because they think so highly of themselves or so often of themselves? The people that you really struggle with, is part of the problem the fact that they think very highly of themselves or very often of themselves? That's often at the root of our troubles with each other. I just want to encourage you, don't respond by doing the same thing. Don't be haughty. Don't think, don't esteem yourself too highly. Instead, go low and be humble. That's the Christian response, the worship response to difficult people. How many of your difficult people are difficult because they always think they're right? And they cannot be convinced that they might be wrong. Have you run into folks like that? I had a conversation with somebody recently, and it was so exasperating. It was a gentleman who, his whole life, at least from a public perspective, seems to exhibit foolishness. Just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And as we talked, all this individual kept talking about is common sense and how nobody has common sense. What's wrong with people? For this reason, this reason, this reason, people are just so dumb. They don't have any common sense. And I'm sitting there listening to this guy, and I see all the decisions he's made. How could he have been hardened into thinking that he is so wise? The Bible tells us as Christians, never be wise in your own sight. Always assume that you are the fool. Never be wise in your own sight. Always assume that there's something you may not be understanding, something you may not be aware of. When we interact with difficult people, it needs to trigger a um, it needs to trigger a humility response, not a haughtiness response. We're free to do that as Christians. You guys, there are people who do just outright bad things, and there are people who know it. So I'm not saying that that's not the case, but often what I run into with the small things is that, you know, individual A did something that hurt individual B, and individual B has no clue what all is going on with individual A that has caused this to happen. And so they just get wise in their own eyes, haughty, esteem themselves very highly, I'm right, they're wrong, that person is so evil, not realizing all the complicated ball of mess that individual A is dealing with that maybe caused them to do this thing to individual B. Now, I've gotten to know many of you quite well as your pastor, and I can say that I don't know any of you whose lives are not complicated. 
Some of you I don't know so well. Maybe your life is simple and straightforward and you don't have complications. But the people I know, life is extremely complicated, which makes decisions extremely complicated, which makes motivations extremely complicated. We can't assume that we understand each other. So as Christians, we're not ever to be wise in our own eyes. We're to always assume that we're the fools. So we can bless people, we can sympathize with people, we can harmonize with people, we can humbleize with people, and we can think. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That word give thought, it's an intense mental word. It's to pre-consider, it's to, it's to think. I know we don't have a lot of time to think. But when we interact with difficult people, it should trigger a thinking response more than just a gut reaction response. As Christians, we can be in control enough that it can trigger, trigger thinking rather than just emotional response. We're to think what is honorable before all. See, we need to understand that our response to difficult people is not played out privately, ever, even if we think it is. There is no such thing as privacy. We, of all people, should know that. Our grapevine is so healthy at Doolin's Grove. Everybody knows everything within about 30 minutes of something transpiring. And it's like that in the community as well. Our response to difficult people is played out publicly, no matter how private we try to keep it. So we need to pause and give thought to how we're going to respond. And I have failed at this many, many times. Uh, This has been one of the most difficult learning curves for me as I became a pastor of the church. I have responded with knee-jerk emails or, you know, responses to people in person or over the phone that if I would have thought for 15 minutes, I could have realized where the individual is coming from. I could have thought through what they actually mean. It could have gone so much better. So as Christians, we can think. We don't just have to react. We don't need to repay evil for evil. We can give thought and consider what's going to be honorable before everybody. What's going to bring Jesus glory here? Okay, and the last thing, we can bless people. We can sympathize with people. We can harmonize with people. We can be humble. We can think. And lastly, we can trust. In verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Did he say rarely avenge yourselves? He said never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance, paying somebody back, somebody that hurt you, getting them back even in subtle ways, is simply not an option for Christians. God has not made that an option for us. Now, I know that most of you aren't going to go slashing the tires of somebody that, that has been difficult to you. But you know that we have subtle ways of paying people back. Giving them the cold shoulder, speaking ill of them. We have subtle ways of doing it. 
That's not for us as Christians. That's the way the world does things. And the opposite of it is trusting that God is just and he will be wrathful. Justice will be served. And that responsibility is God's, not ours. It's the same scenario as when my children try to discipline each other. Try to tell the other to go sit and time out for something that they did. That's not their place to do that. They don't understand enough to do that. Well, it's not our place within the church to try to seek revenge on each other. We don't understand enough to do that. Let's leave that to the all-knowing Father. Let your difficult people trigger a trust response in God rather than a revenge response. So he wraps this up in verse 21. All the different ways we can worship God in our relationships with difficult people. With this kind of an umbrella verse that says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's at stake in our relationships with difficult people isn't just frustration. It isn't just you know, awkwardness if we handle it wrong. It isn't just inconvenience. What's at stake is that we could be overcome by evil. And I've seen it. I have seen how people who are well-intentioned, people who are in their Bibles, people who are really trying to follow Jesus, get sucked in and overtaken by evil. As they get sucked in and stop blessing someone and start cursing them, stop sympathizing with someone and start just being apathetic or, or downright cold toward them, Stop thinking and trying to put themselves in other people's shoes and just start being bitter and unforgiving. It's so easy for these things to just overtake us. But we can't let that happen. Evil cannot sweep us up and consume us. I read one time, I did not understand it. I don't think I understood it until going through Romans 12 right now. Um... I read a quote, and he said, I don't know who it was, said, our greatest weapon against Satan is worship. And I didn't understand that because I thought worship was the singing that we do on Sundays. That's the only thing I ever heard referred to as worship. And I thought, how is that our greatest weapon against Satan? You know, when temptation strikes or or he starts to deceive, or this evil starts to creep up, I'm supposed to break out a hymn book and sing a song. But now that I'm understanding worship is so much more robust and so much more of a, a big, all-consuming idea, I understand it. Because when we succumb to responding with hate or responding with bitterness to difficult people, it's because we don't think highly enough of our Lord. It's not because our willpower isn't strong enough. It's because we don't think highly enough of Jesus. This is worship. This isn't the um, to-do list of a goody-two-shoes who's just trying to be really, really good. This is worship. God is too great of a Lord for us to be overcome by evil in our relationships with difficult people. Our God is too great of a king for us to be overcome by evil in our relationships with difficult people. 
He's just too great. Now, before I pray for us, I just want you to just envision for just a minute. In fact, go ahead and bow your eyes because I'm going to pray. And just envision your difficult people and your relationships with your difficult people. And you being so free by the power of Jesus Christ, so free from bitterness, so free from hatred, so free from the desire to strike back, so free from the fear of what they may do, that you're actually able to love them and bless them and sympathize with them. Consider where they're coming from. To serve them. Let's worship God by loving difficult people. Father, please help us in this. Interpersonal relationships are so difficult and full of so many dangers, and they require so much discernment and wisdom and guidance. Where some of your people in here have been seriously sinned against by people. Well, right now, I pray for them specifically that you would, through Jesus Christ, soothe them and heal them and minister to them in such a way so that they're free from that sin that was committed to, against them. So that they're not under any bondage to that sin that was committed against them and that they're able to actually love their persecutors. Lord, I know that when you say these things, you look at our hearts, not just our actions. And I'm overwhelmed with the prospect that you are molding us into this kind of people that love this way. Or may it be so, in Jesus' name, amen.